I am very thankful for air conditioning that uh, God has caused us to meet now instead of a hundred years ago when we would have been suffering in this place. Uh, but uh, it is good to come together and to escape the heat and to be able to come together and, and, even, and much, much more importantly to be able to uh, be in God's presence. Last week I uh, announced the difficult news that uh, Pastor Steve was stepping down to give his full attention to his marriage, and, uh, and so we continue to pray for Pastor Steve and Esther. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we, I, I want to introduce someone that most of you know very, very well, but uh, he will be stepping up into what we are going to call the interim ministry director role, and that, and that person will help just kind of uh, take on some of the responsibilities of the church, especially overseeing some of the ministries that Pastor Steve was overseeing. We don't want to see the ball get dropped anywhere. We want to see the uh, Lord continue to grow us as a church and to do the work that He has called us to do. So I'm going to invite uh, Darren Kishimoto to come forward, and I, and I want to ask you that you welcome Darren as he comes. Darren is a great fit, A, because uh, he knows, if anyone knows what's going on at the church, just kind of the ins and outs of ministry, it's Darren, and because we know where Darren's heart is, that Darren is fully committed to the Lord and to this church, and so I am very thankful uh, for Darren. Darren, I want to pray for you, but do you have any words you want to say at this time? Okay, (laughs) go for it. Let's pray for Darren. Father God, we just come before you and we thank you for uh, the man of God that stands before us. We thank you that uh, Darren is here and that he is willing to serve. 
but it's not just a willing body. Like we really believe that that uh, you have, in a special way, given him the ability and the opportunity to serve the church in this way right now. And God, we just I I have real confidence that that Darren is capable, but we. We just want to commission him in Jesus' name and pray that by your spirit that you would empower him and give him wisdom well beyond his own knowledge or understanding, that you would give him strength, that he would be able to serve out of the overflow of what you have done and what you are doing in his heart. And God, we just bless him in Jesus' name. We bless Renee and their whole family that you would put your hedge of protection around him and that you would use him during this time. And so we just lift him up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Darren. Today we're going to have the very sticky subject of money. And uh, I remember in my previous church... I uh, one Sunday got up and announced the topic. All I said, just like I'm doing this morning, was today's sermon is on money. And I literally had one person stand up, turn around, and, uh, well, first of all, she stood up, rolled her eyes at me, turned around and gave a glaring stare to everyone in the congregation, and then walked out before I had said a word. And... uh, So far, so good. You're all still seated. Everyone's where they're supposed to be. And uh, but money is a difficult topic. Uh, It is. It is difficult because we don't like to be told what we're going to do with our money. And uh, and and uh, but God's word is very clear, and God's word is challenging. And so I'm going to put this forward in this way because there is this cultural understanding of money that we're going to call the American dream, and then there is a biblical understanding of money that we're going to call the Christian vision. What is the American dream? Well, it has been described as 2.5 kids. The 0.5, I'm not quite sure, but two and a half kids, a nice home, a successful job where you can make enough to take your wonderful family on vacations every year. The American dream is a life of happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by most people in the United States. Now, some have said that the American dream is dead or that they don't believe in it any longer. And deny it if, you are, if you'd like, but its principles are alive and well. People still believe that wealth produces happiness that material things are really, really important, and that we work hard so that we can be comfortable and entertained. And these cultural dreams and aspirations are so ingrained into our society that people embrace them even when they don't realize they're embracing them. And unfortunately, Christians are too often no different in this regard. We are subconsciously formed by the cultural values of greed and selfishness and materialism. And that's why I think this subject is so difficult to preach in a sermon. Because we don't even realize it, but we have been influenced by these things. Maybe even much more so than what we have been influenced by the the Bible's teaching. 
And so today's sermon contrasts these two systems, so to speak. The American dream with the, culture, with the Christian vision. And uh, we are going to get back into Acts. We've been going through Acts. And what we see described in Acts 4, 32 through 37 is the Christian vision. What we see in the early church presents for us a vision of how we can use our money and possessions, not just for selfish or, or, or greedy needs or desires, but ultimately for the Lord's good. And so by the end of this sermon, God wants us to think through our own values in terms of our money and our possessions. Are we influenced more by the American dream or by the Christian vision? Are we motivated more by our own comforts and selfish desires or by our love for God and others? If we do not honor God with our money, then we will not be faithful followers of Jesus. Money is one of these touch uh, point issues that, it, that really shows us where our discipleship to the Lord is. So let's look at this passage together. Acts chapter 4, we're going to just read verses 32 through 37. Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what had been sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's go before the Lord one more time in prayer. Father God, I just pray that now as we have read your word that it would come alive to us and penetrates our penetrate our hearts and our minds that we might be able to just as the as the early christians laid their possessions and their money at the feet of of the apostles we might be able to lay all that we have our money our possessions really everything that is in our hearts may we lay it all before you And may you draw us close to yourself, that we could be disciples, that we could follow you in this difficult area. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage paints a picture of the early church, and what we see here is that they are regularly caring for the needs of one another. Some of them are even going to radical measures. They are taking the initiative to sell their possessions, even their their land or houses, And everything that is sold, they come and they lay it at the feet of the apostles. Now, I just want us to notice right off the bat here that the apostles did, at least according to this passage, and I think it's a pretty safe assumption, the apostles never told anyone to do this. This was was motivated out of the needs that they saw, really motivated out of the love that they had for one another. 
When they saw their brother or sister struggling, they were motivated to say, I want to help meet that need. Now, it says lots of people were doing this, but we're given one specific example here. A a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was actually his nickname. His real name, it says, was Joseph, but they called him Barnabas, which literally meant son of encouragement. That's a great nickname. I don't know if you've had any good nicknames through the years, but if you were called son or daughter of encouragement, that's, that's a really good nickname. And he got that nickname because he just was so selfless. He was an encouragement to those that were around him. One of the ways that this came forth that flowed from his life was when he saw needs, he went and he sold some of his land and he brought it and put it before the apostles and they took the proceeds and, and used it for the uh, good of those that were, had needs in the church. So that is the Christian vision. That is what we see happening in the early church. And I want to point out three keys, three points of, about their use of money that are applicable for us as well. And the first is that money is a teacher. Money is a teacher. It teaches us a lot. Just as I said, this is one of the key areas of your life that if you are, uh, if you are faithful, it shows you so much about not only what is in your heart, but if you are faithful, it helps to teach you and form you to be a different kind of person. That we would, um, that we would be formed in a new kind of way. A good teacher is, a, uh, is oftentimes a person that is very hard on us. I was thinking back, who are some of the best teachers I've ever had? My second grade teacher named Mrs. Brown, boy, she was tough. And uh, you couldn't uh, but hardly sneeze without getting a, a warning from Mrs. Brown. More than once, I don't think you could get away with this today, but more than once, she would place my desk outside of the classroom, and I'd have to sit in the hallway so that everybody that passed by knew that I had been a bad boy. I mean, Mrs. Brown was tough, but at the end of the year, I loved Mrs. Brown because Mrs. Brown was hard on us, but yet I knew that she cared. And actually, I look back, and I think I learned, you think, but how much can you learn in second grade? Well, Second grade, I'll be honest, this was, this was kind of a time in my life where I was struggling in school, and, and, and uh, she helped me out a lot. The other good teacher that I think of is Mr. Schmidt. Now, Mr. Schmidt, boy, talk about a hard teacher. Um, I don't know if I should... Okay, I'll... <laughs> Mr. Schmidt had this little mustache. His name was Al Schmidt. We called him Aldolf Schmittler. And, uh, <laughs> and he was tough. I mean, he was a tough... More than once did he have students in his class uh, crying. But, uh, but at the end of the year, you knew your subject. You knew algebra or geometry or what it, whatever it was. He was a good teacher. Money is like a tough teacher. It is hard. It reveals some things within us that we don't always want to recognize. 
But it also helps us, if we, if we submit to its teachings, so to speak, it helps us to form us and shape us into being the kind of people that God wants us to be. It is a great teacher. Money is a teacher because it reveals what is in our hearts. Okay, next week we're going to kind of get the flip side of this. Ananias and Sapphira, money reveals that they are full of greed and selfishness. But this morning we get the positive first. Money reveals what is in Barnabas' heart. And what we see here is a heart that is fully devoted to the Lord. He is a faithful follower of Jesus. And Barnabas will show up several times again in the book of Acts. And over and over again, we see how God used Barnabas. And I think that it starts here because he was faithful with something maybe fairly small compared to what he's entrusted with later in the book. It's kind of like Jesus' parable of the talents. He's faithful with this and entrusted with more. Barnabas is the one that uh, is entrusted to bring the offering that had been collected for relief to the Jerusalem church when they were experiencing a famine there. He is a faithful man. It reveals what is in his heart. Jesus uses money in a similar way. Remember there was a rich man who once came to Jesus and said, "Uh, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And what did Jesus say? He said, Obey all of the commandments. And he says, That I've done. He said, One thing you lack. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. You see, Jesus knew that money was a good teacher. It shows us what's in our hearts. Jesus also said that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And so let's take some time right now. If money is a good teacher like this and it reveals what's in our hearts, are we serving God or are we serving money? What does the way you spend your money reveal about your heart? Are you fully devoted to the Lord or is your heart divided between serving God and serving money? As I said, money is a difficult teacher and I'll be honest, When we take a close look at our hearts and the way we use our money, there is oftentimes some real conviction. Barnabas' use of money not only revealed his heart, but it also, I think, helped form and shape him to be a, a different kind of person. Barnabas was also the one who, he was the only one initially that vouched for Saul, who later became known as Paul. When Saul became a Christian, he was known for persecuting the church, and everybody said, stay clear, keep your distance, we don't know what kind of motives this guy really has. But Barnabas came alongside and said, you know what, no, we can trust this guy. You see, the reason I think Barnabas had that in his heart is because he had learned to be a trusting and generous person. When we are generous with our our money, it teaches us to see the good in others. It teaches us to become more generous. It teaches us to trust others and to trust in the Lord and God's work in other people's lives. And those are not easy lessons to learn. 
In fact, I would ask us, do you want to trust God more? Do you want to be more content? Do you want to be more grateful to God for all you have? Would you like to be more generous in your spirit towards the, uh, others around you? And this is, these are questions I hope that we, at least inside, we are all raising our hands very high. This is the type of person I want to be. And so how can money serve us in this way? It can be a teacher. Here is a challenge. What if you were to, and I'm going to take this very literally, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Take your finances, so to speak, lay them before the Lord, and say, and say God, I want you to use this as a teacher to transform me, to make me a more generous person. Not only with my money, but in my spirit. To be more grateful to you. To be more content. And for the next three months, I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to, I'm going to really go beyond the giving that I've ever given. And I would challenge you that if you make that kind of commitment, I guarantee you at the end of three months, that will have done a work in your heart. Money is a good teacher like that. Money transforms us. See, why did God tell the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt to give of their tithes and offerings? This is one of the commandments that God gave them. In fact, at a few points, God says, give of your tithes and your offerings. It was not because God needed the money. As the Bible says, God owns a, the cattle on a thousand hills. God is rich beyond what we could ever imagine. God does not need our money. He, he gave them the, the commandments to tithe and to give of their offerings because it was for their good. He wanted them to remember all that He had provided for them. As they're entering into, a land, uh, into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, be reminded of all that I have provided for you. And giving back, you realize what God has done. Be content because at one time you were not content. You cried out to God to deliver you from slavery. And, he's, and in giving, we learn to be content with what we had. What we have. Remember that you were once slaves in Israel and mistreated and treated poorly. And by giving, your hearts are formed to become more generous and more trusting and more caring towards others. Money is a good teacher like this. God has used it since Old Testament times. When Chelsea and I were going through our premarital counseling, our counselors uh, had, had us work through a budget. And, uh, and one of the things that we decided was that we were going to give 10% of our income uh, to the Lord. We put that in the budget and we, and we said this is a non-negotiable. Every week it's going to go in. And that was not easy when we were first married. Chelsea was still in school. I was an associate pastor at a very small church. In fact, we lived in the upstairs of the church because we couldn't afford rent. And, uh, it was, but we were faithful to that and God provided for us. And uh, in fact, I remember especially early on in the early days of our marriage, there was more than once people came and they needed help for rent or they needed help with utility bills and we were able to help with them. And over time, as we have been faithful to that, 
God has used that to teach us that he can be trusted, that, he, that we can be content with what we have, that God will always provide more than what we need. Money is a good teacher like that. I don't say all that to toot our, to toot our horns because I'm sure that there are uh, work that we can do, but God has worked in our hearts and God has worked in the hearts of so many here. And I would love for us someday just to have testimony after testimony of those that would stand up here and say, this is how I have given sacrificially and this is the way that God has blessed me in that. I once met a person that decided to do a reverse tithe. You know what a reverse tithe is? A tithe is you give 10% and you live on 90%. A reverse tithe is you give 90% and you live on 10%. And this guy was a very wealthy guy, so he could live on 10%. But either way, it was a huge, uh, it was a huge challenge and an inspiration for, uh, to me because he said, you know what, I've tried. I cannot outgive God. And he gave and he gave and he gave and God provided for him. Andrew Murray, one of my uh, favorite preachers, preached a sermon on this passage in Acts called The Holy Spirit and Money. And the main point of the sermon was that Barnabas divests himself of money that would hinder his devotion to Christ. See, I make that point because money can hinder our devotion to Christ. Murray explains in his sermon that when Christ takes possession of us, the Spirit takes possession of our money and belongings. And then he says, and I'm going to quote here, money is the great symbol of, of the power of happiness of this world, one of its chief idols, drawing men away from God, a never-ceasing temptation to worldliness to which the Christian is daily exposed. The story of the early church assures us that when the Holy Spirit comes in His fullness into the heart, then the earthly possessions lose their place in it. And that is my, that's my own heart's prayer for my life and for all of us, that when Christ takes up residence in us, that the attraction of money, the attraction of possessions would lose its, its tight hold, that we would hold those things loosely. Technically, what we see here in the church is that these people, uh, it does not say that they gave away everything. In fact, as we read along in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we'll see that people still met in people's homes. What is not being required here is that we would literally sell everything. What is being required here is that we would hold it loosely and that we would consider it to be the Lord's. You see, what it really says here in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So in other words, they said, God, what is mine is really yours. What is mine is, be, is meant to be used as a tool of yours. Money changed from being an asset to a tool. That's the second point. 
Money is a teacher. Money is also a tool. Money is meant to be used uh, for God's service. That's the way the early church was using it. They would see someone in need, and it was a tool to help meet that need. And when we see people in need, when we, have, uh, when we see people in need, not only financially, but spiritually, and in other ways, money is a tool in which we can be faithful to God. You see, God, the money is ultimately God's. It is meant to be used for His work. We are simply stewards of that money. Now, this idea of being caretakers of God's money stands in stark contrast of what we have said is the American dream, which says you get as much as you can and you use it on yourself. The American dream says, I worked hard, I earned it, and it's mine to do with what as, as I please. Now, this view suggests that we are entitled to the income that comes to us because we worked hard for it. And the Christian view of money says that we are not entitled, but that we are entrusted. And there's a big difference between being entitled and entrusted. Entitlement leads to selfishness. Being entrusted leads to stewardship. I remember Pastor Rick would always stand up here every year. October was stewardship month. And there was three sermons. One on being good stewards of our time. One on being good stewards of our talents. And one on being good stewards of our treasures. And these are the things that God entrusts to us. Our time, our talent, and our treasures. And we are to use these things in service to Him. Let's say you have a thousand dollars. Actually, we're going to give an illustration. Let's, let's say we, we got a hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand is a whole lot better than a thousand. So we might as well have fun with it, right? Let's say you've got an extra hundred thousand dollars laying around and you think... Okay, I'm going to go to the stockbroker. I'm going to make this money work for me. And uh, you give them $100,000 and you tell them, hey, uh, uh, make good use of it and I'll be back in a little while to see what you've done. Six months pass and you check back in with your broker and you say, how's my money? And he says, oh, it's very good. Did you see the red Ferrari that you passed when you were coming in? And he said, yeah, what's that have to do with what I just asked you? That's your $100,000. Now you are a very good, patient, soft-spoken Christian. And so you gently explain to your stockbroker, that is not how I envisioned you using my money. And you, and you kindly explain that obviously you expect him to receive a reasonable commission that he could spend on his own needs, but what you expected him was to invest your money on your behalf. And that is what God does as he entrusts money to us. He wants us to invest his money on his behalf for the undertaking of his kingdom work. And so money is a tool like this to be used to care for your family, for your, own, uh, for your own needs, your physical and emotional and spiritual health, but it is also used to uh, grow the ministry of the church, to care for poor, to opportunities to show love in tangible ways, to show the love of Jesus to others, 
to help support, support the spread of the gospel around the world. This is the call that we have been given. And so there are three principles of stewardship. And I'll just, these are summary that we've already talked about. First of all, money, it, that it is not your own money. It comes from God. That's stewardship. We are not entitled, but we are entrusted with it. That's stewardship. We are not entitled. We are entrusted with us. And thirdly, God expects us to use it in the interest of his kingdom. So now the nuts and bolts again. How are you doing? How do you, how do you look at, the, at your assets? Your car, your bank account, your home. Are you entitled to them? To do as you please? Or are you entrusted with them for a purpose, for God's purpose? If we see all of these things as God sees them, then we begin to think differently about how we should use them. Should I buy this new car? Should I take this vacation? Should I add this new insurance policy? Should I increase my savings account? Maybe, but not until you have prayerfully considered what God would have you to do with His money and have a sincere peace about it in your heart that this is what God desires to be done with what He has given you. See, it's not easy to be a good steward, but there is actually a tremendous amount of joy in it when we learn to live free from being driven by the love of money. And just as the Bible says, it is better to give than to receive. And our hearts are transformed. The early Christians come and they lay their money at the apostles' feet. It is a sign that they trusted in the Lord and they trusted in the apostles to be good stewards of what God had entrusted to them. I know as a church we are in many ways a, in a transition period right now. And sometimes in transitions there are, there are, there's a certain amount of uncertainty. And uh, I've, been, I've, I've tried to be open and honest with people. This has been a tremendously difficult season for, for myself, for Chelsea and I. Like these, this has been really, really hard. But in the midst of all of this, it has provided opportunity to have some real good conversations with people about the strengths and the weaknesses of our church, about the opportunities and threats. And even though all of this is at the forefront of our minds and uh, at the forefront of church business, so, so to speak, I can honestly say, and I'm not just putting on a show, I can honestly say that I am excited about the direction of our church. I'm excited about the potential that is before us. In fact, I look at this as an opportunity. It is not an opportunity I would have wished upon us, but it is an opportunity because it is from the Lord. And it gives us an opportunity to expand our ministry. And as a church, not only as individuals, but as a church, we have a responsibility to be good stewards. I hope that all of us would give generously to the ministry of the church because we believe in it. We believe in what we are doing here. 
And I do. I believe that God is working through us and He is moving us forward and calling us to go in the ways that maybe we haven't gone before. He is forming within us. You know, we talk about money being a formational thing. This time in our church life is a formational time. He's forming within us to be the people of God that He wants us to be. So may we be faithful. May we be good stewards. Money is a teacher, it's a tool, and lastly, it's a testimony. Money is a testimony. The way you use your money testifies about who you are and what values you have. Verse 33 says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, first and foremost, that testimony that's being referred here in verse 33 is verbal. They were giving testimony of the, of the resurrection of Jesus and by what they said, but it is also in their deeds. In fact, their testimony would have little power if what they said did not line up with the way they lived. They would be seen as hypocrites. And it's one of the things that the world looks upon us and they think, okay, does the way they live line up with the message that they proclaim? When we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that He is in charge of our lives, do we actually live that way? Is He in charge of the way that we spend our money, for example? When we say that we believe in uh, the resurrection, and the life to come, do we actually live that way? Or are we living in the sense that this life is all there is, so let's get as much of it as we can, as quickly as we can? Or do we live in the sense that we actually believe there is a life to come? A lot of that affects the way we would use our money and our possessions. It's one of the easiest things for someone to recognize. People recognize very quickly the way that you Uh, take care of or the way you spend your money. It's very visible. People know what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear or what house you live in. Not that any of these things are necessarily wrong. They're just a testimony. They speak to the values that we have. When Jesus was on earth and they wanted to know if he was the Messiah, what was his response? Essentially, he says, look and see what I do. Go and report what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the dead hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. How the poor are taken care of is a testimony to the world of if God's work is being done. And so this is where we are as a church So let's lay our financial books open. It's good to do this literally, but let's think figuratively for a minute. How does yours read? If you were to look at the expenses, would it be a tremendous testimony? Your actual expenses, would they be a tremendous testimony for your love for God and others? Or would would it say something different? Would your... Financial books testify to your belief in the resurrection, that this life goes on forever, 
that this life does not go on forever, but that we really live for the life to come. Does your financial statements stand in contrast to the way you would spend your money if you were not a Christian? Is there, does it make any difference? And could others tell that you are a follower of Jesus simply by, look, simply by looking at the way you spend your money? Barnabas spent his money differently, and others noticed. They gave him a nickname, Son of Encouragement. I thought about how I wanted to close this uh, sermon today, and uh, I wanted to close on this note because I really sense the Lord's leading along these lines. You know, over the last couple weeks, as I said, these have been difficult weeks. And so many of you, just as Barnabas was a source of encouragement, so many of you have been a source of encouragement to me to tell me that you are praying for me and that you uh, to offer your support, to ask if there was anything that could be done for me personally or for the church. And that has been a huge source of encouragement. And as I sat down to write the conclusion to this message, it, I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me to emphasize the importance of us being vulnerable. You see, the reason I think that there has been generosity expend, uh, extended to me is because the need was made apparent. It's very obvious during this time. Sometimes we are not as generous as we could be because we simply don't know what the need is. I think so many of us are willing to give, we just don't know what to give to. We're willing to pray, we just don't know what to pray for. We're willing to help out, but the needs uh, that need to be helped are not apparent. And we want to support, but we don't know really when someone is actually hurting and struggling. When Pastor Steve let me know that he was resigning uh, to, from the church to focus on, on his marriage, it broke my heart. Not just because I grieved for the hurt that he and Esther were experiencing, but because I had no idea that he was going through this, at least to this degree. If I, feel, I felt like if I could have known, I could have done something. You see, God is not only calling us as a church to be more generous, He's calling us as a church to be more vulnerable, willing to express when we're hurting when we need prayer, when we need help in one way or another. This Wednesday night is a concert of prayer. And my hope is that when we come, we come with a spirit of vulnerability, brokenness, and humility. That God is calling us to share with others our lives so that we might support one another. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. How can we rejoice when we don't know what the joys are? How can we mourn when we don't know what the hurts and the struggles are? This church is to be the family of God. We are brothers and sisters meant to share life together. Now, the American dream emphasizes individualism, independence, self-sufficiency, but the Christian vision is one of community and of love and support, and this is the church that we are called to be, a family of vulnerability and generosity. And so I'm looking forward to the concert of prayer, and I hope that we all come together to pray 
for Pastor Steve and Esther to pray for our church and to pray for one another because God is still calling us to be a church of fervent prayer. And related to that is the idea of vulnerability, that we would share with one another what is really going on in our lives so that we can pray for one another and that we can help one another. And this is what we see the early church doing, and this is what we see God calling us to as well. I have a prayer that I'm going to ask that we do together. It is called a prayer of abundance. And uh, I've written this as a responsive reading. I will read the italics part, and you read the part in bold. It'll be on the screen behind me. This is uh, called the Prayer of Abundance. Let's pray this together. Pray this not just in uttering words, but as an actual prayer. We know that we are cared for by an abundant provider. Let us choose to be grateful. We know that we have enough and that, we, and that what we need will always be provided. We know that our choices matter for ourselves, for our families, for our brothers and sisters in the church, and for the West Covina community. We know that we are not self-sufficient or independent. Creator who made us to seek the greater good of your kingdom, guide us to spend our time. Teach us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. God, you are a God of abundance. Give us our daily bread as we share ours with the hungry. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you are a God of abundance, that you have lavished your grace and your mercy upon us, and that we have more than what we could ever ask or or need or imagine, but that you are generous to us. And we pray that we would realize that what you have given us is not ultimately our own, but it is to be used for the advancement of your kingdom. And so, God, this morning we just humble ourselves. We strip ourselves free of the thought of entitlement and pray that you would help us to be people that are just good stewards. And God, help us to be uh, focused mainly and, firstly, and, and with foremost importance on your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.